Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, dear friends. And welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. And I promise you, if you stick around for the duration and maintain an open mind, now not so open mind that your brains fall out, but an open mind, you may just have your reality redefined, at least slightly shaken. At the very least, uh, what you hear will make you go, hmm. You might even, if you're not careful, be entertained. Here's something else that will redefine your reality, and it promises to be a whole lot of fun. Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, November the 16th at the Regent Theater in Oshawa. Hosted by yours truly, tickets now on sale. I'll be bringing six absolutely amazing speakers to town, and you can witness their mind-blowing presentations all in one day under one roof in one beautiful and intimate setting. The historically and recently refurbished Regent Theater in downtown Oshawa. So if you're into time travel, the Roswell UFO crash, Rendlesham Forest, uh, the, the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, or as it's known in the United States, the Bentwaters Air Force Base UFO incident. Uh, if you're into crop circles, the Matrix, Giants. Gosh, you wouldn't be into Giants. Uh, the, anyway, if you're, if you, if that stuff is of even the, of the slightest passing interest, you don't want to miss. Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. Please visit www.followthetruth.tv for more details or to order tickets. And uh, you can email me for more info at followthetruthsummit at gmail.com. And just less than 24 hours away from the debut of Season 3 of the Conspiracy Show television program, debuting across Canada on Vision TV, 10 p.m. Eastern. All right. Uh, you know, sometimes... It's not enough to sit and listen and watch. I understand that. Sometimes we feel the very strong urge to actually do something with what we learn. Uh, take chemtrails, for instance, or, or false flag operations, or, I don't know, the, uh, the financial shenanigans that uh, corrupt Wall Street players and their bosses have been involved with. I talk about these things a lot on this show and on the television program, and you listen and watch intently, and for that I'm truly grateful. But you're probably thinking to yourself, okay... I believe chemtrails are real. I believe that powerful, wealthy, secretive elites are orchestrating these things. But what can I do about it? Or what is being done about it? How are these corrupt, evil individuals responsible for these things ever going to be brought to justice? How? Well, for the next 45 minutes or so, my next guest is going to answer those questions because... He's a human rights advocate, and he's here to discuss his efforts to create an enforceable global human rights court. And such a court would have the statutory authority to prosecute the oligarchs responsible for such human rights violations, as the aforementioned chemtrails, false flags, various financial crimes. Michael Henry Dunn is a scholar, author, musician, and a globally recognized commentator on issues of human rights. His advocacy for the movement to support national sovereignty embodied in the Non-Alignment Movement and BRICS Alliance led to his current position as senior editor for the Alliance Journal, a university educational institution which serves as an academic journal, digest, news source, and debate forum to facilitate the realization of a more free, peaceful, and abundant world for all humanity. 
Michael Dunn, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks very much. Great to be here. You are uh, you know, a true scholar. You, you studied at Juilliard. Uh, and I, I think of you know people like yourself and and uh, uh, Daniel Sheehan, uh, who's been on this program. I don't know if you if you you know Daniel at all. Uh, and also, well, you know, let's go back. Uh, people like Marshall McLuhan. One thing that you know these great minds, and I include you in that, all share is you believe that there are there are this there is this elite group, oligarchs unelected oligarchs who are trying to stage manage events backstage and and perpetrate great evil upon uh, upon humankind and and I find that encouraging actually that there are people like yourself out there uh, scholars mm-hmm. but I'm wondering do you have a problem with the word conspiracy I mean this is the conspiracy show a lot of people do they have a tr- they have trouble with that word uh, no, you know, I don't have a, a problem with that. I have a problem with the way it has been used to um, create a label that is automatically discredited. You know, all you need to do, as we know well, to debunk something is to say, oh, that's the conspiracy theorists. And, of course, all it means, you know, conspire in its roots, linguistically means to breathe together, right? Right. So, and if you turn it around and simply ask someone, no, I'm not into conspiracies, I'm just into identifying groups that act out of common interest, you know, which people can say, oh, well, okay, well, that makes sense. But, you know, there is certainly uh, a lot of dramatic value to the word conspiracy, you know. Uh, there's a lot of entertainment value to the word conspiracy. And as defined in the dictionary, it's accurate for what we're describing. So actually, conspiracy is a totally appropriate word for us to use. But, you know, starting back shortly before Dallas, you know, before JFK was killed, it was likely very intentionally floated as a label to discredit those who were seeing what was truly going on. So, as we know, the handy label conspiracy theorist is, is automatically wacky, you know, is the, is the connotation um, that is very uh, effectively conveyed these days. So it's... You know, it's uh, it's both ways. It's it's an accurate, you know, it's accurate by the dictionary, but it's been you know abused to uh, to discredit the movement. Sure, it's, yeah, it's used by uh, the mainstream, if you will, in the pejorative right. and, and as a weapon to stifle debate. And Lord knows we need honest debate right now. Yeah. Um, let, let's let's just dive right in here because time is limited, unfortunately. I need a five-hour show uh, one day. <laughs> but l- let's talk about this global human rights court. People might be sitting back and say, well, wait a minute, we have one. It's in The Hague. Don't we already have one of those, Michael? Uh, yes, we have a number of, of human rights courts. We have an international court of justice, and we have the International Criminal Court, and we have the European Court of Human Rights, and we have the United Nations Human Rights Council, and all these international courts and they are designed essentially to be um, ineffective in addressing the systemic human rights violations by which the cabal accomplishes its daily operations. Um, since time is limited, if you like, Richard, what I can do here is quickly give you the limitations of those courts. I'll try to make it a 30-second soundbite. How does that sound? Well, we have a little more than 30 seconds. If you need, if you need a couple, <laughs> okay. if you need three minutes, please, please do so because this is important. Okay, well, let's go with the International Court of Justice, right? Now, this has jurisdiction only for countries to bring claims against other countries, right? So for 
you know, suffering humanity, that is not necessarily an answer. And it does not permit individuals to file a claim against the country for human rights violations. You take the International Criminal Court. It has jurisdiction only for war crimes. And it is not a forum for any claims by individual victims of human rights violations in private cases. And, you know, if you look at how many cases are actually tried um, in the ICC, they tend to be predominantly darker-skinned people, and uh, they are few and far between in terms of the cases that are actually processed. Meanwhile, everything that you cover on your show, right, well, not everything, but many of the things you cover on your show, from chemtrails to false flags, these are actually specific violations of international human rights law that is binding on all UN member nations. And these go unaddressed. There is no forum uh, by which these violations right now can be effectively addressed. And you know that is what the Arbitration Court of International Justice, which has statutory authority under uh, international law, and I can go into that if you like, that is what uh, this court has been designed to address, are the systemic violations of these international laws and to uh, effectively prosecute them. If I, if I might, let me, let me throw this out uh, onto the fire as well. And you can disabuse me of this if, if I'm off base, but I think one of the other limitations of these international courts uh, that you've uh, discussed is that they are often used as well uh, in in the uh, ongoing effort to destroy the nation state mm. uh, for example if we if we look at um, you know what happened in in, in, in Yugoslavia uh, and and how that uh, that country was was torn apart uh, and I mean I don't know if you if, if you if you are in agreement on this and if not please tell me but I, I just think that that's that's an important limitation that these courts to my mind are often used to bludgeon uh, uh, to 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 um, to aid in the in the dismantling of nation states. Uh, we have you know Tony Blair speaking. I believe it was in in Ohio uh, a number of years when he first introduced this humanitarian doctrine, which has been used in places like Libya, uh, which was mm-hmm. anything but a humanitarian effort. Uh, right. You know, we must invade to protect uh, people. What are your thoughts on that? That, that? that humanitarian doctrine and a lot of these international courts are used to destroy the nation state. Well, um, I can't really comment on anything, you know, specific actions by the international courts that allowed that. Um, I can agree with you, you know, definitely that a humanitarian front, you know, is a a humanitarian excuse, a screen, uh, is used as the excuse. Um, You know, for example, what's happening in Ukraine, you know, uh, in the Western media. Yes. Of course, it was, you know, played up as these, you know, freedom fighters, going against these, you know, Russian-backed people who wanted to prevent all the good Ukrainians from allying with their friends in Europe. Well, it was a NATO destabilization operation. There were snipers, you know, who were killing people on both sides, and there's witnesses to this, who, you know, simply to destabilize the situation. And it was, in fact, a neo-fascist coup uh, that overthrew a democratically elected government, which we and the West promptly cheered on, and suddenly Vladimir Putin is Adolf Hitler, you know. So um, that kind of manipulation of our human sympathy through the humanitarian pose, you know, is something that does, does happen quite a lot. All right, Michael, stay put. When we come back on the other side, let's drill down and discuss 
what this court, this global human rights court, uh, would look like. Uh, let's talk about the statutory authority uh, to prosecute the oligarchs responsible for such human rights violations as chemtrails, false flags, various financial crimes, how it would work, how we bring it about, most importantly, how we get this done. Back with more of my conversation with Michael Henry Dunn here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. We are speaking with Michael Henry Dunn and uh, his efforts uh, to bring about a a human rights court, not uh, not the... uh, the typical human rights court that uh, seems incapable of, of uh, you know, bringing real tyrants to justice. And when I say tyrants, now I'm talking about sort of the unseen hand, the uh, the unelected oligarchs, uh, perhaps attendees at a Bilderberg meeting, uh, perhaps they may have a chair at uh, at a Council on Foreign Relations meeting. These are the the people uh, that we believe are ostensibly uh, behind things like. Uh, chemtrails, depopulation uh, uh, programs, false flag operations. Michael, what would this? How would this court uh, be constructed? What would it look like? How would it? How would it operate? Well, um, when you're enumerating these uh, crimes that you were just talking about, Richard, about um, you know, false flags, chemtrails, etc. Um, as I mentioned earlier, these are specific violations of existing international laws. And one of the first major uh, contributions that the Arbitration Court of International Justice is going to make is um, within probably a couple of months, uh, the court will be publishing. Actually, it will be not specifically the court that will be publishing it. It will be published by uh, Ignita Veritas University, which is a licensed university. But we'll be publishing a Judge's Manual of Human Rights Enforcement. And... That will be listing and documenting all of the international human rights laws which are on the books, which are binding on all UN member nations, and which go unenforced. And we will not only be uh, enumerating these specific violations, but um, exactly what the statutory authority is whereby uh, the court uh, can actually uh, through due process, um, prosecute these crimes. So let me just uh, elaborate a little to say, okay, how does the court go about that? The other courts, you know, that we're familiar with, the uh, the ICJ, the ICC, these are treaty-based courts, right? Which means the way they were constructed in the beginning is the countries agreed to voluntarily to submit to the jurisdiction of the court. Now this allowed for the easy creation. Right? and also the immediate funding of a court that countries all kick in. Right, But it's severely limited by allowing countries to just avoid its jurisdiction you know, at their will and convenience, as we've seen the United States you know, has already done. So you know, that is one way to create a court, but what most people do not know, it is not the only way. There are specific provisions of international law enacted by the UN General Assembly that can fully authorize and empower an independent non-governmental court to exercise jurisdiction over matters of international law. Now, there are three major hurdles that any court will have to pass according to international law to actually have statutory authority. And I'm saying statutory as opposed to treaty-based, right? And those three things are a court must first have an official licensed 
status as a non-governmental court from a national ministry of justice of a UN member country. So, you know, here in the United States, that would be, you know, like going to Eric Holder and say, listen, Eric, you know, we're really fed up with the cabal. We've seen all these massive violations of human rights. What we need from you and the Justice Department of the U.S. government, just give us a license to operate as a non-governmental court of international justice so we can go after these guys, right? No problem with that, right? Well, of course, this is not going to happen. Yes, because um, some people but, think Eric, Eric Holder is part of the cabal. <laughs> yeah, some people would think, well, you know, cabinet officers, um, no comment. You know, it's, it's more likely than not. But We'd have uh, better, like, let's go to Iceland, Michael. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, there seriously. They've, they've... They know how to handle it in Iceland, right? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. So, um, so uh, the arbitrator, the ACIJ, as I'll refer to it for convenience, has that official license status as an NGO court from a national ministry of a UN member nation. Secondly, it has to have formal UN registered status as an NGO. Third, it has to have, and this is probably the most important thing in terms of functioning as an actual credible court of human rights law, it has to have an infrastructure and a foundational basis which is fully consistent with all details of the relevant body of international law. In other words, you know, it needs to have um, you know the the entire structure that you know the other international courts have with international judges, you know, uh, due process, uh, chambers of investigating judges, etc. And so these are difficult hurdles to meet. This is not the reason I go into all this is that you know in the freedom movement we've become kind of desperate. You know, it's like okay, we'll have to go to common law. We're going to have to go to citizens' grand juries. We're just going to have to go out and, you know, get some friends and the cops and the local sheriffs to do mass arrests, you know, which they very much want us to feel as if we are pushed off to that ineffective fringe, you know, where it is simply an excuse to trigger a crackdown. That is where they would much rather push the freedom movement off to, push the awakening population off to. What they don't want, you know, is a sober authoritative, mainstream enforcement of the rule of law by the human family. That's their worst nightmare, is essentially what's happening here. And so, you know, we are, to some extent, taking this mainstream in that we are working with what a lot of people in the freedom movement perceive as tainted institutions. Oh, you know, don't tell me about the UN, that's a cabal-created institution. Yeah, we know that. We know about, you know... The, the founding and structure and history of that, and it also happens to represent, you know, the entire population of the planet. But you just need and one. It, you just need one member of the General Assembly, one uh, member nation of the General Assembly to get this done. Is that? Is, am I understanding that uh, correctly? I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Um, you know, we do have the aforementioned license, and we do have the NGO status, and we do have the foundational basis required. That's all in international law, and that triggers statutory authority. In other words, it derives from the statute itself. We, all the reg criteria have been met, therefore it has statutory authority. Um, in terms of oh, all you need is one country, now there are you know, like 170 countries in the non-aligned movement. You know, there is the BRICS alliance. There is, you know, the planet is waking up, and there is, you know, widespread and growing awareness of the oligarchy, who they are, what they do, what their agenda is. And so this is not, you know, about some lone um, 
band of would-be heroes trying to set up some court. This is about the human family coming together under the rule of law to enforce existing human rights law through existing institutions. So, and that is actually kind of revolutionary, you know, in, in the current, I mean, in a good way, not as in, you know, we're waving bloody flags and, bloody flags and storming the Bastille, but as in it's, it's seizing the one lever that is actually going to, to make a difference. And, you know, I can't go into a lot of operational details about exactly how would we proceed, which countries, you know, are our allies, what we're doing. You know, obviously there's people listening to your show, you're well aware of it, um, you know, who would try to counter such moves. But essentially, you know, the strategy I'm happy to share with people, that is what I would encourage people to to open their minds to, that it is these mainstream institutions by which we can actually enact effective change by which we can actually push back as the human family and enforce the rule of law are through these existing institutions that they want us to think have been tainted. Oh, it's the UN, they'll throw that out. You know, oh, it's the Catholic Church, throw that out. Oh, it's, you know, it has to do with the UK. You know, oh, that's the, you know, the Illuminati tainted Windsor clan or whatever. You know, this is, all that does is push us to the ineffective lunatic fringe, which is just where they want us to be. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, I know uh, sort of, and I, I hate the, using the term community when we're talking about conspiracies because it, it's it's not an appropriate term. There is no such thing yeah. as a conspiracy c- community. There are simply people who are aware and who care. Uh, but uh, it doesn't matter what area you delve into, uh, whether it's, uh, and I don't know if you have any feelings one way or the other about the whole UFO issue, but if you go into that, the UFO community, again, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. there is so much sure. divisiveness, so much infighting, that it's hard to get anything done. Uh, and right. so, and I believe you're absolutely spot on that that's what these, uh, oligarchs, they want, and they are, they are, they are seeding this dissent. Uh, right, and, yeah, they actively, you know, they have well-funded operations that, you know, uh, that, enact that stuff, that um, put out the disinformation, put out, you know, create the infighting. That's, right. You know, that's a controlled we're opposition. We we're so busy that. fighting ourselves that we lose yeah. our... And, and so another thing that we're doing, like through the Alliance Journal, which as an academic journal, um, as part of um, the Ignita Veritas University within uh, the university, you know, to have academically sound footnoted, referenced, annotated articles that cite, you know, mainstream sources of evidence for these cabal crimes, that cite, you know, parliamentary reports, mainstream articles, that just, and it's, there's tons of this out there, that cut through all that fog you're talking about, Richard, that they, that they create in order to keep us confused and at each other's throats. If there's a mainstream organ you know, that is putting out credible information, fact-based, that scholars can go to and use its academic references for further research, that's, that's a big shift. That put, pulls us away from the conspiracy fringe and puts us mainstream where people say, ah, okay, this is for real, these are solid, checkable facts, and, you know, now we can do something about it. Well, I mean, you would have no shortage of, of volunteer investigators, and I'm not talking about amateurs here. I'm talking about, you know, professional investigators, researchers uh, who could, you know, uh, put together some pretty compelling cases, But which leads me to the next area of inquiry, and that is, and again, we're getting into the mechanics here, and I don't know how far we can go with this, but 
Walk me through how 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 this court would work. Let's say someone comes uh, to the court with a, uh, a pretty compelling case of, and I'm not going to name names here, but inside um, the, the 9/11 was essentially an, aided and abetted by someone on the inside, mm-hmm. and it may have been within the White House or the Pentagon or some other agency, uh, and 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 in this report they name names and they've got documentation and so forth. Where does it go from there? How would it operate? Okay. Um, the question that always comes up in people's minds when they're looking at this is, okay, tell me about enforceability. Great, because there have been, um, for example, the court in Malaysia that indicted Bush. Great, an indictment that it sits there and it's useless and nothing happens. Um, if a case like the example that you, you know, <laughs> Going to 9-11 as the first case would probably not be um, uh, a course I would expect the court to take. But again, I am not the court. I am not a, a lawyer or a judge. You know, I'm an adjunct professor with uh, the university and the senior editor of the Alliance Journal. So I just want to be very clear that, you know, that I'm not speaking officially for the court. I'm a volunteer spokesman and I'm, you know, the, the editor of the journal. But supposing that due process having been observed, the foundational basis having been observed. You know, we, we are not talking about some, you know, swift kangaroo court judgment like you hear people making against uh, some of these people out there. But that judgment having been rendered, supposing that assets are to be seized, a judgment has been rendered, assets are to be seized, or someone, an arrest warrant is made against a cabal chieftain, shall we say. Um, now, in all probability, serving that judgment on assets to be seized in the United States is obviously a very long shot. We're not likely to get cooperation from the U.S. government in its current form. However, there are 170 nations in the non-aligned movement, and all it takes is one, just one, of those nations to be willing to recognize the statutory authority of the court and to seize assets of the offending country or individual within its territory. For example, embassies have assets, embassies have accounts, embassies have funds. There are any number of other, because, you know, we are talking about um, obviously a fairly complex array of possible perpetrators. So I can't get too specific about how uh, an enforcement, you know, would proceed. But that is, you know, the mechanism whereby the human family, the non-aligned movement, starts to act. And once people see that begin to happen, you know, I've I've spoken to a lot of people, names we both know that I won't go into, you know, on, on the good side here, to say, you know, really there are powerful people who are sitting on the fence. They know the shift is coming. They know, you know, that the pressure on the oligarchs is increasing. And at some point, somebody's going to do something effective and we're going to see somebody doing a perp walk or we're going to see somebody seeing his assets seized and there's going to be, you know, a just a lightning awareness shooting through, you know, either the U.S. or the world that the jig is up and you're going to see a lot of these fence-sitters jumping. And when that moment happens, uh, I cannot predict, nor if I could, would I here on the air, um, but that is essentially the mechanism, and uh, you know I can't go into a lot of operational detail beyond that, just for security reasons, which you know I'm sure you can appreciate. 
All right, we'll, um, we'll come back and discuss further. I'll tell you what, as we head into the break, though, even if I don't see assets being seized, even if I don't see individuals doing the perp walk, just to see an actual trial, maybe it's an abstentia, I don't know if that's, you know, would be within the protocol of such a court, but just to see an actual trial, a real investigation and a trial, I think for a lot of people, that would be enough, at least to start Yeah, with. and it would be conducted by, you know, international judges, certified international judges. We're not going to ask them to put their lives on the line, and we're not going to be identifying these folks right, you know, this second. But, yeah, this will be, you know, ironclad international law process. All right, we'll come back. More of my conversation with Michael Henry Dunn here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Yes, keeping an eye on the new world order indeed. In fact, not just enough to keep an eye on them. Uh, We've got to take the next step which is to put them on the stand, uh, subpoena them, put them on the witness stand, prosecute them, uh, and hopefully put some of these evildoers behind, uh, behind bars for a very long time. Is that possible? Is that within the realm of possibility? Well, my guest, Michael Henry Dunn, uh, thinks so, and the, the first step is the creation of this International Human Rights Court that uh, he's been discussing here on the program. Now, I mentioned uh, uh, 9-11, and and you said, well, that may be just, you know, a little bit too much to chew first time go around for such a court. Could you give me an example of of, um, one of these New World Order crimes that that you think would be a a good place to start, someplace you'd like to see them start? Financial crimes. You know, that's um, what's happening with the bank accounts of ordinary people. You know, what, the way access to your money is being blocked, the way um, withdrawals beyond a certain sum are suddenly forbidden, the way the laws that were put in place after 9-11, you know, in the name of anti-money laundering laws uh, to prevent money from going to terrorists, were used, in fact, to begin to limit the ability of ordinary people, ordinary, honest, peace-loving, tax-paying folks, to get used to a level of governmental or, you know, of essentially banking interference in their freedom to use their money. Uh, essentially, you know, the, your money in the bank is actually no longer yours. The bank can deny you access to it. We are now investors, not depositors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I saw a uh, performance in uh, Los Angeles by an activist who does, um, who protests against mass incarceration. And, uh, and, He's a lawyer, Harvard-trained lawyer, uh, African-American. And he said, you know, what happened after 9-11 is that, you know, you white folks out there, basically after 9-11 it was what he called uh, the niggeration of America. He said, now all you white folks know what it's like to be pulled over and stopped for no, no reason, to have driver's license checkpoints on, uh, checkpoints on peaceful highways. And to have psychological pressure put on you such that now, oh, well, this is the new normal, right? Um, so these are, you know, some of the effects of these financial violations. And these are 
specific violations of existing international law. You know, and they imagine that they are um, impervious to prosecution, that they can hide behind a corporate veil, that they can hide behind a governmental veil, and in fact, that is not true. I'm not going to, you know, again, this is uh, when the judge's manual for human rights enforcement comes out shortly. Um, you know, your audience will be able to uh, see the details, and it's, you know, it's a very definitive work, and uh, we're, we're eager to bring it to you. Do you have any, any uh, uh, I don't know if you can answer this question, Michael, but I'm, I'll throw it out there anyway. Do you have any candidates for 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 judges to sit on this, uh, this in, in mind? I mean, can you see anyone out there on the landscape? Uh, there's no way I would mention a name. I would never do that. Okay, <laughs> I would never do that. No, I mean you, you, these are um, brave people who would be putting their lives on the line, and there are you know ag- actual existing guidelines and protocols whereby um, these cases could be tried with their um, identity being protected. Oh, is that right? Judicial immunity. Ah. Yes, these are, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, again, I'm, I want to again give the caveat here, I am not an international judge or lawyer, I'm a journalist and a human rights advocate. I understand, so, and, and my knowledge you know, of the... I'm just trying to tread a little carefully about this, but no, unfortunately, of course, I, I, I would not give you any names. And my knowledge of... of you know, jurisprudence is is uh, a mile wide, but a millimeter deep. So I'm I'm treading on very <laughs> thin ice here. But uh, having a judge sit on a panel where he would be anonymous, I mean, isn't that contrary to just the foundations of, of yeah? Of law? You know, because law, by definition, has to be public. You know, that's the idea. Um, I'm actually going to to um, pass on getting uh, specific with that answer, if you'll forgive me, Richard, because. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fam- I have looked at uh, the legal basis, you know, whereby that is uh, actually acceptable under international law. Um, but I f- frankly do not feel competent as an, you know, international judge would be the best one to answer that question. We do have, um, you know, experts that I can refer to you on that if you prefer a follow-up visit on your show, if you like. Um, but uh, I'm going to pass on that. No, that's fair enough. Fair enough. It's just um, it's an it's an interesting talking point, and it one that that we should definitely pursue at some point. And and I would love to have right. uh, uh, to, to do another program on this. Let me um, let me let me ask how people. Uh, I mean, we're going to break here in a second and come back for for one more stretch. But in the meantime, how do people get involved and get behind this, and what can they do? Okay. Well, um, right now. The Arbitration Court of International Justice, the ACIJ, um, as an autonomous subdivision of Ignita Veritas University, you know, does indeed have uh, a donation page. Um, at the moment, it, I, can I give the website, the web address? Please do. Be Please do. Okay. Um, the web address is um, www.isis, as in... Uh, I-S-L-X-M, I-S-L-X-M, hyphen security dot O-R-G. Now, you're probably hearing the acronym ISIS. Yeah, I was going to say, it's rather Whoa, unfortunate. Right. <laughs> so that stood for the Institute for Sovereign um, International Security. 
And luckily, and the, the rampaging they, ISIS... Yeah, it might as well be called the Adolf Hitler Institute. Now, well, they've changed right. their name, thankfully. They're no longer ISIS. They're now ISIL. So we're yeah, off the hook. Yeah, well, it doesn't make any difference because <laughs> Obama just went on... Obama went on the air calling them... at a press conference calling them ISIS the other day, and now all the Western media is referring to them. Michael Dunn, my guest here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Okay, now, Michael, we can uh, we can proceed uninterrupted uh, till the top of the hour. Let's, first order of business, get that website out again, and I'm going to immediately post it uh, at richardserrett.com. Okay, great. It's um, isis-security.org, isis-security.org, and then Click on the Justice Court page, which will take you to the ACIJ page. And if you scroll down, you will see a uh, donation button to donate, uh, and it is tax-exempt, to the Public Access to Justice Endowment, or PAGE, Public Access to Justice. That's the whole point. Uh, That is the fund of the tax-exempt Arbitration Court of International Justice, ACIJ Human Rights Court. And there's a donate button right there. And in the meantime, if they if they simply go to the home page, uh, they can learn all about the court as well. Right. They can yes, uh, they can learn all about the full scope of uh, of what the institution of uh, Ignita Veritas University, um, which you know has a number of uh, of licenses and functions that uh, will be of interest. All right, I am uh, uh, posting that right as we speak. Now, what people need to do, uh, if they don't go right to the website, if they just want to go to richardserrett.com, if you're on the site right now listening at home and following at home, uh, just go to on the home page and under tonight's show, and you'll see the heading for the, the, the first hour of the program, Crimes of the New World Order, and uh, you'll scroll down and you'll see our guest's name, Uncle Henry Dunn. If you and, just... and Richard, may I yes. add also, um, the Alliance Journal... Uh, also will be a a helpful spot uh, to stop at, and that is thealliancejournal.org. Thealliancejournal.org. All right, I'll post that as well. But uh, as we speak now, if they click on your name, Michael Henry Dunn, that will take you to the ISIS website. Great. Well, yeah, Ignita Veritas University. (laughs) Okay, we're trying to drop the ISIS brand. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, I understand. So, um, I... Again, not a lot of time here, but give me the Reader's Digest version of how you, uh, you know, having studied at Juilliard, you're a musician. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen your um, some remarkable interviews talking about the, you know, the whole uh, authorship of Shakespeare, which is a. F- I'd love to have you back on and, and talk about that for an hour if you're up for it sometime because that's sure. a fascinating area. How do you go from that world into this world? Well, there's um, some really interesting uh, parallels because essentially it's a quote-unquote conspiracy theory, right? And um, as a trained classical actor, and I was a, you know, I worked professionally in Shakespeare um, repertory companies, I, you know, I blew the whole thing off. I thought it was this, you know, stupid, wacky theory that these snobs who couldn't accept that, you know, a kid from a provincial town could come in and and be a genius playwright. Um, But, when you look at the facts, you know you have a unique problem with the Shakespeare authorship. So, in studying that, and in uh, eventually becoming uh, more or less a recognized authority on the Shakespeare authorship question, 
um, you know, I'm cited in several books that are that are out there. Um, what you see is an entrenched special interest defending its turf by discrediting people who are pointing out facts of of you know uh, quote unquote lost history, right? So um, that background and training eventually I became a trustee of uh, the Shakespeare Fellowship, which is a not-for-profit organization of scholars uh, studying the question. Um, when it rolled around to 2011, and I became aware of the uh, the currency reset rumor, um, by that time I had studied enough of what was going on with the false flag situation to realize that much as I did not want to believe it, uh, you know, the, the story we were given on 9-11 was a story. And... Um, once I began to research uh, the financial reset, uh, I started to write for blogs that um, later put me in touch with Neil Keenan. And um, Neil, you know, was impressed with my work and asked me to write um, a preface to his lawsuit, uh, the trillion-dollar lawsuit, which uh, David Wilk got covered in Financial Tyranny. And so that's how I started to work with Neil. And then I went to Jakarta, Indonesia, and you know, on the ground with Neil there um, in early 2013 for several months. And that's when, you know, I was writing um, a lot of journalism from uh, from that location about what was going down with uh, with Neil's um, efforts to, you know, put the control of the global collateral accounts uh, in the hands of the right people. So, so that background, uh, essentially, I had I had had a pretty thorough training in um, in the information war uh, because the same tactics are used. Um, it's it's a very um, similar situation. Well, in, so in other words, yeah. you're in a very unique position because uh, you were on the other side as a debunker, although the issue now was the authorship of Shakespeare, and those people that would come to you and say, no, Shakespeare couldn't have written these, he was, his, his children mm-hmm. were illiterate, he wasn't well-traveled, he had no knowledge of the law, he couldn't speak Latin, he couldn't. there's no contemporary documents and so forth. You would just sort of... Laugh that off, or or use some sort of a straw straw man argument, and employ right. all yeah, the exactly. same tactics. Oh, that's interesting. I was one of those people, and then until I read a book called uh, The Mysterious William Shakespeare by Charlton Ogburn, uh, the best book out there right now, newly published uh, by Gotham, uh, mainstream publisher, is Shakespeare by Another Name. Again, that is Shakespeare by Another Name by uh, Mark Anderson, it's The Life of Edward De Vere. Earl of Oxford, who was actually um, the writer behind the Shakespeare canon. I've heard you sort of outline all the uh, the evidence, not all of it, uh, well, a, a little right. bit, yes, a little I bit of the evidence, that. which is overwhelming in and of itself. But I mean, you're right; the parallels there are amazing. Because let's let's, for example, talk about uh, uh, you know 9/11, and it's you know it's the old story about how these conspiracies are really they're 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 not conspiracies; they're out there in plain sight. Yet there is some sort of Psychological blinder uh, mm-hmm. that we all yeah. that we all have uh, we put on uh, whether it's a self-preservation mechanism which I think is a large part of it. Uh, I mean, I guess because we all have a, vest, a vested interest. When you were a, a Shakespearean actor, you had a vested interest. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. We all live this lifestyle, as some might call it, a profligate lifestyle here in the West, and so we, you know, deny that conspiracies are perpetrated by people with turbans, not us. So. I guess that's what it is, isn't it? It's a self-preservation mechanism. That's what prevents us from seeing the truth. Yeah, very much. 
Where do we go from here, Michael? What's the next step to get this? Uh, I mean, I, I guess you're in the initial stages of, of just bringing public awareness uh, about this, this court. Uh, but walk me through what, what, the, what the next steps and w- when might we actually see this come into to fruition? Well, within probably a couple of months, you will see um, the judge's manual of human rights enforcement uh, be coming out from Magnitia Veritas University. And that will be distributed to human rights activists, human rights lawyers uh, worldwide. Um, and at, at that point, you know, we, essentially there's a, a, one very important piece that we are putting in place very carefully, which is the charter of the court which is the definitive statement of its you know, foundational basis and authority. And you know, that cannot be something that is less than fully ironclad and definitive. Uh, you know, the, this brings up one thing I'd, I'd love to just uh, emphasize here, Richard, which is that you know, in the freedom movement, we all get excited about one personality or another who's out there as the hero of the moment, right? And you know, these are brave people. Um, not to knock them, you know, but you know whether it's, whether it's David Wilcock or it's Neil Keenan or it's you know some of these inside whistleblowers who are putting their lives on the line. That is gutsy, courageous stuff, and I admire them. But you know, a reliance upon personalities makes us very vulnerable. What we need are institutions that are trustworthy and transparent, that will last centuries, that can you know have the trust of the human family. And that's what we're putting in place. And, you know, we're not going to rush it. You know, I, we recognize the extreme urgency of what's going on. We're in the middle of, you know, an intense struggle. And, you know, we're, we're in touch with people who want to see this authority established so that it can begin to be used promptly. And uh, for your audience out there, you know, we are not funded by nations contributing, you know, to a treaty-based court where it's like cover our butts and, you know, here's your million to you know, keep you in business. You know, we rely on on donations. So we can certainly be greatly assisted in how fast this comes to fruition uh, by folks going to that uh, that page and helping us um, make it happen. You know, because it, uh, currently, you know, we are working with very committed information warriors uh, who, like a lot of us out there, are doing it, you know, in our spare time from... Um, what we have to do to bring in income. So uh, that that would be what I, w- I would encourage people to, to realize that we need to create durable institutions based in international law that have the trust of the people. So that's that's what I see as, as the next steps. Once the, the manual is out, once the charter is complete, um, and you know we will invite the governments of the world to critically examine the, the statutory basis. And it's going to be pretty unchallengeable and ironclad. Uh, you know, this is, I think this is, could go a long way to giving people tremendous hope, even in the early stages, knowing that something like this is is on its way uh, and that it could, re, it could instill people, uh, in, in people faith in institutions again uh, and, and hopefully reverse the cynicism, which is, it's really, uh, it's, it's epidemic cynicism yeah. in everything, yeah, in everyone. And that's our worst enemy. Exactly. Michael, I really appreciate uh, your time with us, and I'd like to do it again. Uh, I'd like to talk about the international uh, court with you again and, and sort of chart the, the progress of that with you, and perhaps we can bring on other experts as well. Uh, and then 
at some point, when you have a moment, I would love to have you uh, come on and, and talk for an hour about the authorship of, of Shakespeare. I would be delighted, and it's been a real pleasure, Richard. This is uh, a very high-quality show, and it's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Appreciate it. Michael, Michael Henry Dunn. All right. Uh, my website www.richardserrett.com and again if you go down to Michael Henry Dunn's uh, uh, name on the uh, the homepage there under tonight's show our 11pm guest just click on that and that'll take you right to the uh, the website where you can learn all about uh, this international court and uh, uh, I think it's I think it's uh, just absolutely wonderful that this is on the on the horizon something to give us some 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 hope and we need that desperately uh, also say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. And as always, of course, follow the truth.